before we turn in the word, let's, let's go to prayer once again. Let's pray together. Father, we've just declared through song that you are our king. And yet, uh, quite frankly, many of us confess that we scarcely know what it means to be subdued to your reign. We ask, O Lord, that you would rule over us, that you would rule in us, that you would rule through us, that you would rule according to your word, that we would indeed be subdued to it. Father, may your word sanctify us this morning. May it teach, instruct, guide us. Father, may we be quick to follow after you and your ways. Uh, We ask that you would draw us back under your rule, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Last week we looked at the subject of sexual immorality, which is sex outside of marriage. This morning I want us to look at sexual immorality as it occurs in marriage. And probably a better title for this sermon would be fleeing sexual immorality in marriage by having more sex with your spouse. And that is an embarrassing subject to many folks, and yet it's because of such we've so far strayed from the truth of God's Word that uh, we're living in a culture that doesn't even know what immorality is anymore. We think sex is for two reasons, for having babies and for pleasure, and we just don't want to talk about it. We think we know all we need to know, and yet I'll give you five more reasons this morning. There's, I thought of another one uh, just now. There's six. I won't spend much time on it, but uh, there are more than that. Because we don't understand it, um, we stray from it, and the whole world is straying from it. Um, I won't say whether this story is true or not, but uh, once upon a time, I was in an elevator, and... Uh, Beside me in front of the controls of the elevator was this very attractive blonde lady, and she was apparently uh, staying on floor six. And so she had just, uh, we call it mash the button, you know, for her floor. And then an attractive, I was already on the elevator, then an attractive, tall, handsome man comes in. And so she looks over at him and says, You want six? But we all thought she said, You want sex? I mean, it just sounded that way. And we were all kind of startled by it. Even the man, he was so startled, he thought a minute, but he was quick on his feet. And he said, well, I, yes, I do. But then he pointed to his ring. He says, but I'm married and prefer it with my wife. And at that moment, we were all agreed on three things. We all wanted sex. We all preferred it in marriage. And we were all embarrassed to talk about it any further. You know, just quiet. Whew. Glad that's over. And we were all waiting to get out. But I think that's the way it is in the church. We're convinced we want it. We're convinced it should be in marriage. But we just don't want to talk about it. And we're embarrassed to. But there's so much in God's Word that we need to talk about and need to understand or we won't get it right. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7 Read verse 2 last week. Let me read it again. Let me read about five verses here. It says, verse 2, But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. And the genders are clear here. Each man, male, is to have his own wife, female, and each woman who's a female is to have her own husband, male. Uh, The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband, The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Notice... Uh, in this passage, there's no mention of sex for pleasure. There's no mention of sex for procreation, for having children. The reason here was because of immoralities, verse 2. And it brings it back up again in verse 5, because Satan's tempting you to be immoral. So you clearly have a passage where sex is commanded, and it's not about the two things we think we are to get. 
There's something immoral about having sex outside of marriage. So God is commanding it inside marriage. And we need to know why. We need to know God's rationale, God's design, because we're living in a world and that just doesn't get it and it's creeping into the church. Let me uh, deal with outside of marriage just quickly and then get back to marriage. Look at Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22 through 24. Here's my eighth reason that I'm not going to talk about much. Um, Leviticus 18, verse 22 says, You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It's an abomination. Also, you shall not have intercourse with an animal to be defiled with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It's a perversion. Do not defile yourself by any of these things. Catch this. For by all these things, the nations which I'm casting out before you have become defiled. God says sex needs to occur in marriage. One man with one woman. Don't let it happen outside, man to man, woman to woman, outside marriage. He says, he said, don't you understand? I have destroyed entire nations because of this. We're not talking about a few cities like Sodom and Gomorrah Valley. He says, I've cast out entire nations. This is a matter. Why should you have sex? There's a sense in which you should say, in marriage, why should, because it's, a, it's an issue of national security. And we laugh at that a little bit because we don't get it. Just how offensive, immoral, sexual behavior is to God. So much so that He has wiped out entire nations. Because the nation is having sex wrong. You see how serious that is? So when you get to Ephesians 5, let's turn there real quick. Uh, verse 5 and 6. Ephesians chapter 5. Begin to see the wrath of God poured out in a different light. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 5 says, For, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So not only will I cast out nations, but these nations and these people go into the pits of hell. They miss heaven. Verse 6, Let no one deceive you on this with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. I don't really think our kids, I don't really think our world gets the fact sex outside of marriage is not worth the risk. We tell them, why wait? Well, because of STDs, because of disease, because of uh, sicknesses. Well, yes, God's wrath can be poured out by sickness, by disease. Yes. But God's wrath cast out nations. God wrath cast into the pits of hell. It's not, it's, there's a huge risk here involved in being sexually immoral because of the huge offense it is to God. And that message seems to be lost. It's the wrath of God is poured out because there's something wrong with this activity that is that just infuriates the throne of heaven. That he changes the course of nations or cities as a result of it, and certainly individuals. I read an article Friday, popped up on the news. Uh, it, it was a religious news uh, website, and so they're, they're trying to cover religious news, and they were telling the story of a woman preacher who had been suspended from her church uh, last month, or this, this year anyway. And uh, women preachers, that's a whole different story. But anyway, she's, she's, a, she's a woman preacher, and she got up in her church this year, and she says, it's just time for me to be honest with you, my congregation. I'm a lesbian, and I just don't see 
why it should be hard for anybody except, except that I want to spend the rest of my life enjoying the love of another woman. Now, a lot of people say, yeah, yeah. Why, why should that be so bad? It's just love. It's just enjoying. And we've defined sex as only for pleasure, and we just don't get it. There's so many more reasons for sex. It's not just for children and not just for pleasure. If it were just for pleasure, why is this a problem? And she doesn't understand the, the fury of heaven and the wrath of God that will be poured out. And God says, remember Ephesians 5, verse 5, know this with certainty. This is not a gray area. Uh, there's nothing to have doubts about. This will occur. God's wrath will be poured out on the immoral. Now, we can become immoral sexually if we don't grasp, realize, and practice sex in marriage. So let's know some good reasons. Let's, uh, you know, how many of you have a good theology on sex in marriage? I want to give you seven Reasons why God has designed sex, positive reasons in marriage. And the first one I think is just crucial that the world completely misses. This woman preacher completely misses. Many others do. And that is, uh, honey, we need to have sex because of unity of rule. How many of you ever said that? Probably not. It's my words. But um, in some fashion. And that is the primary reason it was established. It's on page 1 of your Bibles. Look at Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28. Let's begin to understand God's design. Genesis 1, 26 says, Then God said, clearly the Trinity says, Let us, it's plural, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're talking among themselves, and they say, verse 26, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky. Wait, let me back up. I want you to see real quick a, a, a little extra credit. It's not in, the, not in the sermon, but three reasons why God's established us, our purpose in life. Number one, let us make man in our image. We are here to reflect the image of God. Number two, we are here to rule so that he will rule over the sea, over the birds, over the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and every other creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image to reflect the image of God. In the image of God, he created him male and female he created them. We must be male and female to truly reflect, to image God. There's something in the Trinity that cannot be imaged apart from male-female union. And we'll get to that. But we have three purposes to reflect for the glory of God, to reflect His image. Number two, to rule. And then number three, verse 28. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. There's the third R. We're to reflect. We're to rule. We're to reproduce. Let them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, so God's creating Adam and Eve. Who does he create first? He creates Adam first, and he gives Adam a, a time of existence before Eve. He puts Adam into the Garden of Eden, and he's naming the animals when God says not good for man to be alone. Think about this. Go over chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now, stop right there. We have three reasons for being here, right? Reflect the image of God to reproduce and to rule. How many of those could Adam do without Eve? Could only do one. He was ruling over the fish, over the birds, over the animals. He was naming them. He was ruling, but he couldn't reproduce without Eve. 
And he can't reflect the image of God the way he needs to without Eve. And so God declares it's not good for him to be without Eve. I have created a threefold purpose. He can't do his job without Eve. And so he makes someone to help him rule over all the, have take dominion over all of creation, and that is Eve. And lo and behold, not only can she help him in rule, now he can reflect the image of God. And now he can reproduce uh, children for God. Now, all of this has taken place, uh, and, and, and he, he gets to, well, you know the verses there. After, he, after he's made Eve, brings Eve to Adam, Adam literally says, wow, whoa, this is, this is a woman. She's like me, but she's different. We complement one another. We have different bodies that fit together. I can now reproduce. You know, he's thrilled. I can do what God has designed. And, 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 and we go together in such a way that we reflect the image of God, and there's, there's excitement and thrill, and God says, and they were naked, and they were unashamed, and the man left his father and mother and were joined to one another, and she became his wife. Now think about what just happened. Of course, they don't have a father or mother, but what God is saying, he's going back to rule. Who rules over you? Your mom and dad. They have rule of the home. That's their domain. And so we will all be born into a rule, into this thing called family, a unit. Mom and dad, we must honor and respect because they have the authority. And he's saying, from this point forward, Adam, you, the man leaves the rule of his father and mother, steps out and establishes a new unit of rule by being married to a wife. And that wife who joins him now helps him rule. He doesn't follow the rule of mom and dad. He establishes a new rule. And this new household now is a unit that rules over their children, trains them, raises them for Christ. She helps him. They rule together. Uh, they reflect the image of God. God. That's why God has established this male-female marriage. God established it. And the first thing we see there is sex was designed for a unity of rule. That when a couple comes together sexually, they not only reproduce, but they, they produce an, a, a peace, an absence of conflict, a unity. They produce that we're on the same page, going the same direction, under the authority of God, doing what God has created us to do. Let me, let me give it to you a little bit stronger. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul brings this up, 1 Corinthians 6 and then also 2 Corinthians 6. Because he, he, he here describes our, our bodies as temples. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18 says, Flee immorality. And that's our theme. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you're not your own. For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So our bodies are important. It says don't commit sexual immorality outside marriage, and he's starting to imply here, outside the faith. Not only does God want marriage, he wants Christian marriages. And begins to uh, paint a picture here. Our bodies of temples of the Holy Spirit. You don't combine a temple of the Holy Spirit with a temple of a prostitute. Uh, look at chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians. He makes that real clear. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Brings this up again. Verse 14. It says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness. Uh, partnership, think of unity. What unity does righteousness have with lawlessness? Or what fellowship 
has light with darkness. Again, this unity thing, verse 15, or what harmony, see again the unity thing, what harmony has Christ with Belial, or what has a believer in common, again the unity theme, with an unbeliever, or what agreement, see again the unity theme, has the temple of God with idols, for we are the temple of the living God, just as God said. He says, if, you get, if you're the temple of God and you combine that with an unbeliever, with a prostitute, basically you have sex outside of marriage and you do it for pleasure. He said, well, what's, what just went on here? Do you not understand? You destroyed the unity I established. I established you to leave your father and mother to be joined with your wife for a unity of rule. You can't have a unity of rule if you're not in agreement. If you're a believer and she's an unbeliever or vice versa, if, if, if you worship God and she worships convenience, or it's not going to happen. It's going to be constant conflict and you should be having sex for unity. To be on the same page, to be uh, together. Establishing a new rule for me, for my kingdom, to reflect my image, uh, to glorify me. And there's so much conflict and strife and abuse in sexual relationships because we just don't get this. That God has designed marriage and the sex in marriage to, to bring us together with this one unified focus of ruling for Him. Now, Think about that, really, from God's perspective. We have such disregard for our Creator. I, I don't know a good analogy. I don't know how to, to picture this for you, but um, suppose you spend 20 years building your dream home, your, your house. I mean, it's just everything you ever wanted it to be. It's designed meticulously for certain things that you've always wanted. And then I come up there and say, Nothing, I don't like that, and I strike a match and burn it down. I mean, you would be just unbelievably furiated and appalled. Like, how could I so disregard what you've worked so hard for? Now, now think about God. Does He not do that with us? God, God designs us in His mind, in His thoughts, and then He fashions us in our mother's womb for nine months, and then He takes about 20 more years developing us so that a man will leave his father and mother, cling to a wife, be joined sexually to rule. And we say, I don't want that. I just want to go have fun. It's such a total disregard for everything God has thought, everything God has planned, everything God has worked for for 20 years. And we don't see why that infuriates Him. The wrath of God is poured out on these people because they are in total disregard to their creator and designer. All he has established to take place in marriage. And they want to do their own thing outside God's design and shun it. See, this is a huge deal. That's why the lesbian does it. What's the big, what's the big deal? The big deal is... You've just completely run from God, totally disregarded His Word, His design, everything He established of why we exist, to rule, to reflect, and to reproduce. And we're, we're living in this world that, that, that doesn't get immorality because they don't get Creator who so wonderfully designed us and fashioned us. Well, I got six more reasons. I should have spent like three minutes on each one, right, to get through them. So let me jump to some more. But that one's so foundational. The world doesn't see. We should have sex in marriage for unity of rule. Second, we should have sex in marriage for faithful support. Faithful support. I mean, you know, practically speaking, the people who will hug you and kiss you, they're the people who really are there for you through thick and thin. There's just something communicated through that level of intimacy that you know is support. You know it as support. 
I have women who come to me, more women than men right now, saying, my husband uh, just doesn't seem to have any interest in me sexually. And he just doesn't get it. It's hard for me to, to support him and be there for him when he shows such disinterest in me. And I've had men come to me and say, my wife doesn't seem to be interested in sexual things, and I just feel so lonely. I just don't, I feel deserted. I, I just don't feel supported. I don't feel like she's there for me. And the reason is because one of the primary reasons for sex is to, to create that support, that, that feeling of being there for someone, knowing someone is, is always in your corner. We get that practically, and some some reason we don't we don't communicate here. But God has designed it. Uh, let me show you one passage for sake of time. Ezekiel chapter twenty four. It's an unbelievable passage on the sovereignty of God and His plans, and He does what He will. Um, it's one of these plans. I've never heard anybody talk about this, but uh, I was just reading it in my own uh, devotional time one one day, and it just blew me away. I said, why has nobody ever told me this? It's just a tremendous story of the plan and power of God in Ezekiel. Um, basically, you know, God took Isaiah, living about the same time, and he made Isaiah go without clothes for three and a half years to preach a serious message. I used to think that was bad. I said, you know, God, don't do that to me. But I would much rather be Isaiah then Ezekiel, because God took Isaiah's clothes away. He took Ezekiel's wife away to demonstrate a very, very powerful message. And that's this story. Ezekiel 24, verse 15. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I am about to take from you the desire of your eyes. That's his wife. You'll see that in a minute. But he basically comes to Ezekiel and says, Ezekiel, I'm about to take your wife. She's the desire of your eyes with a blow. But you shall not mourn, and you shall not weep, and your tears shall not come. Groan silently. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind on your turban and put your shoes on your feet. And do not cover your mustache. And do not eat the bread of men. So he's describing just the, the normal routine of mourning. Where you put on sackcloth, you take off your shoes, you cover your face, you eat stale bread or whatever. You, whatever it takes to, to say, I am really grieving. He said, I don't want you to do any of that. And so Ezekiel says, okay. Verse 18. He says, so I spoke to the people in the morning. This is like um, their worship service. So Ezekiel stands up and he preaches to them in the morning, he says. And then in the evening, my wife died. Then the next morning, and in the morning, I did as I was commanded. What was he commanded? You know, don't put on the sackcloth. Don't, don't show visibly signs of mourning. I did just what God said. Verse 19, the people would then immediately come to me and, and say, well, you know, what's up? The people said to me, Will you not tell us what these things that you're doing mean for us? You, know, you speak to us all in joy. Your wife dies. You're still not mourning. What, what's up? And then I said to them, verse 20, so here's the sermon. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Speak to the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am about to profane my sanctuary. Serious message. God's going to destroy his own church. Profane my sanctuary, tear down the temple. The pride of your power. Notice how he describes the, the, the temple. The pride of your power. The desire, there's a similar phrase to Ezekiel's wife. The desire of your eyes and the delight of your soul. And your sons and your daughters whom you have left behind will fall by the sword. You will, not, you will do as I have done. You will not cover your mustache and you will not eat the bread of men. Um, your turbans will be on your heads and your shoes on your feet. You will not mourn, you will not weep, but you will rot away in your sin, your iniquities, and you will groan to one another. Thus Ezekiel will be a sign to you. 
according to all he has done, you will do when it comes. Then you will know that I am the Lord God. Wow. What a message. God is basically saying, I'm going to take away Ezekiel's private sanctuary. His wife. The delight of his eyes. The thing that makes him feel proud. A pride of power. And the delight of his soul. His, his wife, his bride. I'm going to take that away as a sign to you that I'm about to take away your public sanctuary. That's also the pride of your power. That's also the desire of your eyes. That's also the delight of your soul. You see... These people at this point thinking, we have God as our God. Look at our temple. No other God on earth has a temple like this. They were so proud of it. They worshiped the true God. He would protect. He would provide for them. And when they went into this sanctuary, it was a desire of their eyes. It was just gorgeous. It made them feel significant and powerful. And it was their delight that they served the true God. And God says, yeah, but you're not. What do I have to do to get through to you? I guess I'm going to have to take this away. Because you feel significance through your sanctuary. When you go into it, you feel like you are somebody and you're not. And so, I'm not going to let Ezekiel go into his wife. And I'm going to take her away. And you're going to see how devastating that is. As a sign to how devastating it will be when I take away your sanctuary. It's just a powerful statement of the sexual union in a marriage as well. Because when a, when a man and a wife enjoy that sexual union in marriage, men feel, they feel manly. It's, it's a pride of power. It's, she's the desire of his eyes, the, the light of his soul. There's, there's just such feeling of support and strength that, that I am somebody, we are somebody. God says, that's why I designed it that way. I designed marriage and sex for you to have that private sanctuary of, of feeling just this wonderful security and support in one another. I'm going to take Ezekiel's away so you can see how serious it is to walk away from the living God. But do we see the using the analogy God has chosen to show us how, how wonderful sex in marriage is. It's a private sanctuary of, of power and support and strength and security and delight. And God's designed it that way. He wants it that way. So for unity, for faithful support, for image reflection. I've talked about that some in, in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. There is a tri-unity that's occurring. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And sexual unity between a male and a female shows that just as God in, in Genesis 1 is creating the whole earth, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there's no lack of harmony. They agree on everything. How is that possible when you think that they have created all that is and it's all good? It's just this, this wonderful harmony. And God says, I'm going to design this, this sexual union between the male and the female to, to strip away uh, disunity, to, to strip away conflict, to bring peace. Uh, it's going to image what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have. So we reflect the image of God when we who are the same substance but different in bodily parts, different in function, we function differently, and yet we're at peace, and we're at harmony in our rule, and our support of one another. So it, it shows equal beings with, with different functions, not the same, and yet blessed to be the same, working together. And that reflects the image of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're equal in power and substance, and yet very different in how they function and what they do. And it's only male to female do you get that image. Male to male or female to female wouldn't show difference in function 
you would have the same body parts, not different functions. And so it's, it's, it's only this male-female marriage that reflects, gloriously reflects, the image of God. And, and we need to, to reflect, to show the world, show our kids the image of God. And it can only be done through this male-female union. Third, fourth reason for personal pleasure. You get that. You, you get that sex is pleasurable. But many times we don't get that it's God's gift of pleasure. God gives the pleasure. We don't create it. We don't manufacture it. God designed that wow factor, that desire of the eyes, that delight of the soul. God, I mean, why are we attracted to, to the female parts or to the male parts? Why? Because God designed it so. So many passages to think about. Let me give you two real quick. Look at Proverbs chapter 5. Give you two. Proverbs 5. Beginning at verse 18. Uh, well, verse 15 says, Drink water from your own cistern, saying, Have your own husband, have your own wife. Verse 17, Proverbs 5. Let them be yours alone. There's this uh, intimacy that's exclusive and not for strangers with you. Verse 18, let your fountain be blessed, speaking of the, the man's wife, and rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. I mean, this is God's commands. It's not just a good idea. God has said, I want you to have this pleasure. I want you to have this physical satisfaction. I want you to, the word exhilarated, it's into, means intoxicated. I want you to be intoxicated with the sexuality of your wife or your husband. Just really physically satisfied. That's our God speaking. That's, that's not your brother or sister speaking. And we need to see that, um, that God has designed these things for us, that God wants us to have that pleasure. Um, Song of Solomon, um, chapter 1, verse 2 says, May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Um, and that phrase is repeated a lot in this book. That says, you, know, you pick something that really satisfies, like wine, says, but sexual love in marriage is so much better. It's designed by God to be better. Why? Because it's producing this unity of rule. It's producing this faithful support. It's producing this reflection of the image of God beyond the fact that it just feels good. It's it's huge. Hugely satisfying. You know, when you begin to think of the greater reasons for this. Well, I'll move on. We get pleasure. Number five, gratefulness to God. If you get these first four, you begin to worship in sexual activity in marriage. You're just so grateful for all God is doing through the sexual relationship in marriage. That it's, it's needed to, as, as, a, as a tool to worship God. You know, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, Whatever you do, whether it's eat or drink, do to the glory of God. Well, the same is true in sexual relationship in marriage. Since God has designed it, when we have sex in marriage, we should do it to the glory of God. It does glorify Him. It does reflect Him. Um, we should do it for that reason. And He commands it. Look at Ezekiel, excuse me, not Ezekiel, Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 7 through 9, a, a command to enjoy. Ecclesiastes 9, beginning at verse 7. Uh, these, these are some commands we, we need to memorize. You know, God commanded me to be happy. That's pretty cool. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 7 says, Go then, eat your bread in happiness, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be... White all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. So, in other words, be the anointed one, the cleansed one, the sanctified one. And then notice what he says after he describes us that way. Verse 9, 
enjoy a command, enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and your toil in which you have labored under the sun. So if you don't have joy in anything else, you should have joy here. You should have joy in marriage. You should have joy in your sexual relationship with one another. God says, I've designed it that way. I want you to have it. And when, I, when you see I've designed it, you should worship me. You should be grateful that I have had such forethought that I designed your bodies to pleasure you in this way. There should be an eternal gratefulness to God, a delight. God, you're the one that makes long kisses that last into the night so good. You're the one. You're the one that makes hugs feel so wonderful. You designed it. I'm grateful to you for this because this was your plan and your delight. Um, it should be a celebration of God's gifts to us back to him. Number six, holiness and honor. Holiness and honor. Uh, this is the, the counterpart to, to wrath and disease. Uh, we see God's respect and his honor. Look at Hebrews 13, verse 4. Hebrews 13, verse 4 says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all. Not just God, but everyone should do this. Marriage is to be held in honor. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. So it means to be, it's to be a, a holy place. It's to be sanctified. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. What did he tell us? You take sex outside the marriage bed, outside marriage, and it becomes fornication. It becomes adultery. God judges that. God is not pleased with that. God does not honor that. God does not respect that. God does not want that. But sex in marriage, God who looks from heaven when sex is in the marriage bed, he looks down and says, good, I like that. That's what's supposed to happen. I honor that. I exalt that. I praise them for that. It's not a dirty action. It's a marriage sanctified, holy action. There would be so much more holiness in our marriages if we were taking our temptations to the marriage bed instead of taking them outside marriage. Because fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. We need to see the marriage bed as a very, very holy, honorable, respected placed by God and should be that way of all. And we need to teach that to our kids. There's times when your kids may knock on your, your, your marriage door. Hey, mom and dad, what y'all doing in there, you know? And there's, there's this, this answer that should mom and dad need time to, to, to love one another. And you should respect that because that creates such peace and harmony in the home that creates unity of rule that enables you to see God better through us, that gives us such support, that gives us such strength, that gives us such peace. Uh, so much is happening here, kids. And we want you to learn from it and respect it and honor it. And one day we want you to leave your father and mother and cling to your wife and produce this beautiful thing that God has created a new unit of rule and a new private sanctuary and a new specialness that God has designed for His people to rule, to reproduce and reflect His image over all dominion. That message is not getting out there. If it's not getting out there, we're the only ones who have it. I mean, it's our fault. We don't either understand it yet, we don't get it, or we're not communicating it. But this is something for all of us, not just for those of us who are married. We have the truth of God, and this message needs to be shared, known, understood, and given because we've got a world of folks who just don't have a clue of what's moral and what's immoral anymore. Uh, avoid, you know, avoiding sin matters. Adulterers and fornicators, God will judge. Having sex in marriage matters because it avoids sin. 
And we need to understand that and demonstrate that to our world and start with our families. And then the seventh reason I've given you is legacy. Uh, God has chosen sexual relations in marriage as the way in which he reproduces the godly seed and reproduces the church. And we need to, to have children. I can't believe, the reason I left this last, not only because we already get it, and you don't need to hear much more about it, but because I wanted you to see six or seven strong reasons for sex before you saw this one. Because I've had people teach in this church, the only reason for sex is for having children. Wait, 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 wait. I just gave you six or seven reasons why you should have sex without having children. God has designed sex for so much more than having children. And there's so much in Scripture, even on family planning, on the number of children and when you should have children. And we don't think about all of those things. But our God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. And it just doesn't have Kesara, Kesara, Doris Day theology, just what will be, what will be kind of thing. It, God, God had a family plan. And we need to have family plans. Sex, yes, does produce children, but only if God wills it so. And we need to think about when he wills it, how he wills it, why he wills it, and no answers to that. I'll just give you one passage. I don't have time to get into that whole subject. Uh, Proverbs 24, uh, verse 27. Give you one verse for family planning. Proverbs 24. This is not to diminish sex, but just to show it's not just for having children. Proverbs 24, verse 27 says, Prepare your work outside and make it ready for yourself in the field. So this is for all you men who need to go get jobs and have livelihood. Go get a job. Go prepare your fields. Go make some money. And then afterwards, there's an order here. Afterwards, then build your house. And the Hebrew word here for build your house is not talking about boards and cement or whatever. It's talking about household. We use it that way too. Um, we use it in the sense of family. Go build your house. Go build the stuff that's inside the house. So outside, make sure you take care of the outside first. Take care of the inside second. And there's a plan here. If you're going to have children, you need to provide for those children. Make sure you have the livelihood to provide for those children. You need to be trained to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. First uh, Timothy talks about if you don't train them up, if you don't provide for them, you're worse than an un- unbeliever. So there needs to be a proper stewardship. And God says here there's a proper order for that stewardship. You have the income so that you can provide and so you can train them up. So it's not just about having sex and saying, well, I don't know how many kids we're going to have. No, there should be some planning and thought to that because God is a God who plans and has order and designed our lives that way as well. So think through that. But think through the beauty of sex that God has given us. There's good reasons for making love. God says, I want it. I need it for the building of my church. I want you to see you want it and you need it for good reasons. So I'm assuming there's some of you here this morning say, okay, I kind of messed up some of this and I need to get fixed. How do I get fixed and get back on God's page? I understand and I need to get there. Let me give you four ways to do so. Number one. Begin Bible reading and prayer time with your spouse. Look at 1 Timothy 4, verse 4. 1 Timothy 4, verse 4. It's amazing to me the number of couples that have no Bible reading, no prayer time, uh, whether separately or, or, or together. But let me tell you this. If you want to be conformed to the Word of God, you have to get into the Word of God. Not rocket science. Do we want to be conformed to the Word of God? Then we must get into the Word of God. 1 Timothy 4, verse 4 says, Everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. Catch this, for it is sanctified, made holy, set apart. How? By means of the Word of God and prayer. So if your sex life is just really screwed up, if it's messed up, it's not holy, it's defiled, God says you clean it up, you sanctify it by getting into the Word of God and prayer. Receive it, first of all, as a good gift from God. 
and then seek to set it apart, conform it to the Word of God by studying the Word of God and by praying and asking God His Spirit to control you consistent with the Word of God. Second, confess that the sin of omission, what is that? Something you fail to do. If you are failing to reserve sex for marriage and have sex only in marriage, that's the sin of omission. You're failing to do that. Recognize the sin of omission, not having sex uh, in marriage, is just as sinful as the sin of commission, having sex outside of marriage. Yes, God will judge the adulterer. God will judge the fornicator. That's sex outside of marriage because that's sin. It's, we started with 1 Corinthians 7. It's also a sin not to have sex in marriage because God designed it for good reason. So your struggles, this is something I have to work out. I have to do it. I have to do it right because God has created me for this purpose. Third, schedule time for intimacy with your spouse. Schedule time for intimacy with your spouse. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, you know this long kind of poetic section. There is a time for everything, right? Schedule time for intimacy with your spouse. In that long section, there's a time for everything. There's a time for love. There's a time to embrace. There's time to shun embracing, but there's a time to embrace. There's a time for love. There's a time for war. There is a time for this. You must schedule it. Number four, remember the marriage bed is to be held in honor. Hebrews 13, verse 4. The marriage bed is a place, it's a holy place. It's a place of honor and respect. Um, God knows it's good for us, and God wants us there. So we shouldn't be embarrassed. This is the Word of God. This is something God honors and respects. We just need to do it according to His design. Let's pray together. Father, have mercy upon us, Your church, Your holy ones, those that You've set apart to be in Christ and filled with Your Spirit. Forgive us for taking the temple of God and polluting it with sin. Father, we ask that You would cleanse us whether our sins are omission or whether our sins are commission, whether we fail to do what's right or whether we are clearly doing what's wrong. We ask that you would clean us up, that there would not even be a hint of immorality named among us, that we would again be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, that we would not have such a corrupt culture around us, but a culture who says, to us, why is it you have more pleasure, more delight, more unity, more peace, more lack of conflict, more support, more energy, more pleasure, more worship? Why do you have such depth of significance? Lord, let us be that light. Let us be that church culture our world needs to see. Let us influence Anderson by being strong pillars built upon the Word of God. Forgive us of our sins. Remove it from us. Cleanse us. Bring us back to your delight and to your desire and to your design. Father, as we prepare for the Lord's table, let us be serious. Let us be ready to turn from sin, to be intimate with our God. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.